Hey, Lisa. Well, I'm glad that we're getting together this morning um, to record another podcast. And you said that this morning we're going to talk about Anna Maria, which I am excited to see what you're bringing to the table. But if I can ask, like, what, do, what are we trying to get from sharing Anna Maria's story? I know she was her daughter. And, um, and essentially, you could look at, well, like any daughter, they're a follower to their mother. Right. But right. you have a very special twist on this um you said something right. about starting more at the end of her life yeah so i think a bit we'll start with um a story a couple stories at the end or after right after anna maria dies um anna maria dies in 1812 so very young okay. she's not yet 17 um and she had been her mother's follower and companion um, but it was more than that it's really anna maria's death is what changes Mother Seton. I mean, it gives her a whole new perspective on grief and eternity and accepting God's will. And it's probably, from what I've read, the hardest time period that Mother Seton experienced, even yeah. with, you know, she had seen a lot of death. Like we right, I was going to say, I mean, yeah. she's already been through her family, mother, her own mother and baby right. sister dying very early on in her childhood, right. to her father and father-in-law, the stepmother, to her own husband, right. was really the last death, and then coming into Emmitsburg, because you said, like, Anina is almost 17 now, right. she is 17 at the time of her death, right. so she's already seen death in the early community here in Emmitsburg, right. with her two sister-in-laws, and some of the earlier sisters of charity, so she's always been exposed to death, so right. it's just kind of surprising to right. well Anne Marie was the the third one to die here okay. so you're right the okay. first two were her own not only sisters okay. of charity okay. but her family her yeah. husband's sisters and so yeah I mean it's it's interesting when you look at death I think for all of us there's people that die in our lives and we're sad and then there's those few deaths I think the closer you hit home your children your spouse your parents that um that rattle you, I mean, that change you. And and I think this is where Elizabeth is because she doesn't know what to do after Anna Maria dies. She's feeling very disconnected. And then there's some guilt that goes along with that, right? Because she's running this order, she's running this school, she's the mother superior, she's supposed to have all these words of wisdom and she doesn't want to do anything. Um, she, okay. she even makes a comment to George Weiss, who was a friend of hers. She said she, um, she said to tell you the truth, for three months after Nina was taken, I was so often expecting to lose my senses and my head was so disordered that unless for the daily duties always before me, I did not know how much of what I did or what I left undone. Mm -hmm. So she's kind of drifting through time. Yeah. And well, then, like you said, this is hitting close to home. This is her first born child. Right. You know, she was born like, within a little bit less than a year into her marriage right. with William McGeesey. Right, 1795. Um, it's her daughter. So, mm -hmm. I don't know, I'm coming from a mom where I have three kids, but my oldest is my son. Right. Um, and my middle child is my daughter. And I think my daughter and I are very close in ourselves. Right. And I, I don't know, like, I feel like she is on some level a follower of me. So I right. can't even imagine, though, I don't even want to imagine not only what would happen if I leave my firstborn, but then my daughter on top of that. Like, yeah. Well, it's funny, like wow. preparing this with Elizabeth, um, I remember a priest, a good friend of mine, um, tell, like I was telling him, I'm just saying that if my children die, I'm not going to be happy. And he's like, well, they might be Lord. I'm like, no, no, 
I am not going to be happy, <laughs> you know, and I see this in Elizabeth and she doesn't know what to do with it. She's hiding it. Like her, yeah. her sister comes to visit from New York because she's worried about her and she hides it. She, you know, pretends that she's just fine. It's really that fall when this, this thing happens in the cemetery that kind of lets her like open it up. What's that? What's um, the story? So if I can, I'll just read it here. Um, it said, one day that fall, she knelt at Anna's grave, once again fearful for her daughter's soul. Did she adore? Did she know? She implored, agonizing. Just then she heard a strange rattling sound and looked down to see this large and ugly snake slithering over her daughter's grave. Elizabeth thought she had, she had begged for reassurance and had been sent a serpent. She lunged for the creature, dragging it to the gate, and she like throws it out of the, out of the gate. I'm like picturing all this in my head. She starts to like run away. And then she remembers she didn't lock the gate. And all of a sudden now she's like, oh no, like the, the hogs, cause like a panic hogs were, oh, wow. you know, around the community then. And she's like, she gets angry and she's like, my darling shall not be rooted by the hogs. And so she runs back in and she fastens the grate the gate, sorry, and she could not throw off her terror and disgust. And so she she's now picturing these graves being destroyed by worms and bugs and hogs and snakes and she just can't she can't handle it anymore. She's so angry at that moment and so enraged that her daughter's been taken from her. Yeah, you know? like her grief. That it sounds to me that this is the peak of her grief. Right. Like now she's at the peak. She's almost kind of in a sense hitting rock bottom right in right. the reality right and so, mixing up with hallucinations yeah and she doesn't know what to do she's kind of ashamed a little bit about what she's feeling because she is supposed to be the, the person that everybody looks to and Catherine O'Donnell wrote that this was not blessed eternity but sin and decay the snake in the garden the dirt and the hogs and the worms Human suffering seemed endless but insufficient. And she couldn't, Elizabeth just couldn't handle it. And she's also now having these, these thoughts like, was her daughter good enough? Did she, was she ready to die? Is she in eternity? And so she can't go to Father Dubois. She can't go to Archbishop Carroll. And so she turns to Father Brute, which ends up being the perfect choice. I'm going to say, because Brute has been her spiritual advisor right since they have been put in touch with one another earlier right. on right and what's so beautiful about this is that he doesn't scold her he's not mad at her he doesn't make her feel ashamed for what she's feeling he kind of meets her where she is mm -hmm. you know he knows that she's a passionate person yeah but he also knows that she's an intellectual yeah right? like she wants she wants the root of this and she wants to understand this and so yeah. they start meeting together they're they're writing um, and you know, she is very similar to him. And so he really helps her. And, and then he asks, he asks for, um, Anna Maria had made these rules for, um, they would have each of the sisters have a group of 10 students. And so when she came back in Baltimore, she had a group of 10 students and she made them up these rules to, to live by so that you could have a good death basically. Do you, and, do you have like an example of one of her rules? Well, it was really basically like being a good person, like attend mass. Okay. And, but it got very specific, like on Friday afternoon, you do this on Sunday, you do this. And so, yeah. um, do mothers even know about these rules? Yes. Okay. Yes. So she knew about that. Oh yeah. Anna 
Maria that had these rules. Right. Okay. Okay. Right. And and she and he asked for her letters, and then she had written a few letters on First Holy Communion, um, and he wanted that. He wanted the bouquet. Wanted was right. asking for all these things that Anna, Anna Maria had written and kept. Right. So Brute's asking for all these things from Mother Seton and she gives them to him. Right. And so, yeah, and they kind of go through them. Uh -huh. And um, it's really nice because he kind of turns the graveyard scene around. Brute was known for drawing and sketches. Mm -hmm. And so he turns this around to Anna Maria being there with Mother Seton when she's on her knees. And and he, he's telling Mother Seton she was there. Look at her writings. She's with you. You know, uh -huh. and... And in fact, he wrote, Eternity, Anina is there. What thinks she of this little nothing of our earth? She remembers only the little valley, her mother, her sisters, her decreed children, and cries with a voice to be everywhere understood in the room, the choir, and the little woods. So he's telling Mother Seton she's, she's with you. And he's giving her an understanding of grief and eternity. And so they, they work through this together. And Mother Seton is so moved by his writings and his drawings of Anna Maria that she finally writes herself, let us be courageous and accept with love and zeal the will and order of providence. Let us not refuse to live. The longest life is nothing to eternity. So finally, but this is, this is almost a year after Anna Maria has died that she is pulled out of it mm -hmm. through Brute's help. Yeah, like really understanding a little bit with more clarity through Anina of what eternity is about and the life that follows someone's mm -hmm. death, yeah. that they don't cease living or having an impact or being with you right. just because they are physically not present, right. that they are spiritually still in presence and Brute, it sounds to me from what you're sharing, is that Brute tapped into Anna Maria's writings and her letters, her journaling, and did an interpretation of those to help Mother Seton through her grief and say, right. no, Anna and Nina don't hear. Right. And, and so are you saying that perhaps maybe from then on that Mother Seton in turn started following Anna Maria through examples of Anna Maria's life? You know, like through Anna Maria's actions, oh, or yeah. anything like that. Yeah, absolutely. I think that. I think. Um, I think Anna Maria helped Mother Seton throughout Anna Maria's life, her short life. But I think it's really after she died that gives Mother Seton this whole big understanding that I don't have. I mean, I don't know about you, but it's like we were just saying that when one of our children died, I don't even. I don't know how I would get past that. Yeah, you know. No, I don't either. I don't like. I said I don't even want to imagine that. You right. know. Um, and yeah. I think even Mother Seating writing later, like when Mary Diana Harper dies, and she's writing to his father, like you could almost see the the understanding of that pain and that grief. I know what this is like. It's very unique. Yeah, you know, and yeah. and so I think she she helped her, and I think what was interesting for Mother Seating to realize. It's okay to have those moments of unknowing and frustration and anger and not the best version of yourself right. as well in mother Seton's circumstances is she don't have other children so she's right. still a mother 
and she's a leader to a newly born religious community. Right. And she's a teacher at a school. Right. And here she's at the lowest moment of her life that she probably never envisioned herself to ever be in because of all her experiences with death and losing loved ones and people who are close to her. Right. And what I think is so nice about the writings, again, it's like in person she's hiding it. But it's through her letters that we see where she's talking like, I, I'm exhausted, you know. And and again, it's kind of like with our previous podcast with Rebecca. It's like Anna Maria was with her, like she was in the Lazaretto with her mother. Okay, so it's like she's she's now lost that person that been with her the entire time. Right. You know, like I, like I was saying earlier on when we started the podcast, like Anna Maria is, in a sense, a follower of Elizabeth Ann Seton, naturally, because she's her daughter, you know, right. so she was there with her when her other siblings were born, she was there with her mother when they went to Italy with their father, and then right. in the Lazaretto for her father's death, she's still right there with her mother in Greece, to traveling to Baltimore, to um, the conversion of her Catholic right. faith always here to Emmitsburg. So she's always been following her mother, but you know, yeah, now that you're bringing this up, it sounds to me though that not only was probably Elizabeth was a role model for her daughter, but in a sense, without really knowing, it was like Anna Maria's presence throughout Elizabeth's life was actually support for Elizabeth. Right. Like Anna Maria had this hold of, I don't know, some sort of stability through all the life challenges. Well, I think that's true with like any of us being like a mother, like when we have that first child, now all of a sudden you've got a a companion. Like you've got someone that's going to be with you that you can share it with. And I think when it's a daughter um, and you're going through these hardships together, that does bring a certain amount of closeness. You know, and and Elizabeth right from the beginning loves being a mother. You know, she's writing about how beautiful Anna Maria is. I mean, the only kind of hiccup I guess you see is where all of a sudden she recognizes that Anna Maria has a temper, and she's kind of like, uh oh, <laughs> you know. And so, and I think it's interesting that William, the husband's like, okay, you take care of that because <laughs> she's just like you, so you deal with that. And she doesn't know what to do. Like she's writing her friends, like, what do I do about this child with a temper? You know, and um, it kind of changes. It seems like it changes, but you see them getting closer and closer. I mean, this by the time this girl is five years old, she's talking about how Anna Maria comes down in the morning and they sit together and they sew together. And, you know, I mean, I don't know about you, but my life is never, let's just sit and sew. Like, <laughs> you know? Yeah. You know? We spend we time with our own daughters in a different way. Yeah. But I, I can, I can see that, that. It's a, it's a it's a very natural bond. It's a bond of a mother and daughter. Yeah. So, and then I know that when she went to, so she's five and she's sitting all that. And then next thing you know, she's very. How old is she when she traveled to Italy again? She's eight. Eight. She's and, eight. Well, what's so nice too is yeah. that even with all of other scenes, children, because she felt like she missed that in her own childhood. She made a point of making sure they felt special and close and she was always praying for them i mean there's the reference at new year's eve which i really like it's it's new year's eve it's december 31st of 1798 so she's about almost four years old under four years old and she says the last the first and every day of the year my thoughts and time are yours my anna 
May the giver of all good grant his protection to you. Blessings and attentions and the tenderest parents and most affectionate friends are constantly yours. In you, I view the friend, the companion, the consolation of my future years, delightful reflection. And so she's she her wish for Anna Maria right. and, and their relationship. And she's looking at her like, you're going to be my friend. You're going to, you know, we're going to share all this together. We're going to be so close. So out of all the siblings, this is why she chose to take Anna Maria along mm -hmm. with her and her husband. Right. And a, right. Maria's father to Italy, and they leave the other children home with family. Right. Because. And again, she kind of turns to her friends, like Eliza Sadler, and she's like, You may not agree with this, but this is why I'm taking her. It's going to be so educational. She's going to see all of these wonderful things. And it, it was educational in a way, but it was more education in them spending that time in the Lazaretto together. And it was an education on life. Right. And Anna Maria, at eight years old, is so insightful. Like, she's looking at the other prisoners who are, you know, drinking and loud and obnoxious and stuff, and she's like, oh, we're, we're so much more blessed than them because we know God. And what eight-year-old yeah, says that? Eight -year -old <laughs> you know, so um, they just, they have this prayer circle together. Like, they become so close in that Lazaretto. And it's just a, a really beautiful thing. It's a heartbreaking thing, but it's a beautiful thing. But I do remember reading that Anna Maria, you know, she's going through the motions in the Lazaretto mm -hmm. and also probably through the emotion, but she holds her own emotions from her mother and right. her father. And right. it wasn't until she finally sees Elizabeth Antine actively grieving that she's asking permission from her mother, like, can I now grieve too? I see you crying, can I see you crying too? Right. I think it's when they were in a carriage or something like yeah, that. Yeah, they were in a carriage together. It was after uh, her father died. Yeah. And she sees her mother crying, and her mother's trying to hide the fact that she's crying. Yeah. And, um, she, and Anna Maria just says to her mother, my dear Papa is praising God in heaven, and I ought not to cry for him, but I believe it is human nature. Do you not think so, Mama? Like, oh, oh, my gosh. gosh. <laughs> so once again, it's like hearing Anna Maria kind of being, you know, this rock for her right. to not fall apart. You right. know, she's being a support system right. at eight years old. Right. And the insight right. of grief. Right. And she's she's on this journey to Catholicism too. Yeah. Like she's seeing how her mother is changing. She's seeing the the churches and she's overhearing the the talks and the homilies and and so she's changing too. And it's you know, they get back to New York and she's the one sitting next to her mother saying, Let's play, you know, pray the rosary. Let's let's do this. And what's interesting is in that time, Julia Scott, her friend, Mother Seen's friend that's living in Philadelphia, is trying to convince Elizabeth to let Anna Maria come live with her, you know, and she's like, she's her godmother. And so she's like, come let her live with me and I will, you know, take care of her. I'll school her. I'll buy her things. And Mother Seton just dismisses that. Like she doesn't even really address it. Um, and, but you also see Anna Maria stepping up to help take care of her siblings. And not only her siblings, um, there's this one little thing where Elizabeth is writing one of her friends and she's talking about how Anna Maria is taking care of Mary Finch Bailey, which was Mother Seton's younger stepsister. And she's actually younger than Anna Maria, um, but her mother has just passed away. And so Anna Maria is now actually helping to take care of her cousins who are suffering and 
Lucy just like writes about that and how she's such a, a help to her. So at a very young age, eight, nine years old, she's growing up, you know. So they become Catholic and, you know, we jump ahead to now they're heading to Baltimore. And Mother Seton is noticing that Anne Maria is being a typical 13-year-old girl <laughs> and, and not telling her things. And she's noticing and she's missing it. And she's like, what is, what's going on here? You know, why is she being so distant from me? And she realizes it's because Anna Maria has given her heart to this young man who attends the college there. And Mother Seton is... Kind of yeah, she doesn't really know what to do really with that. And she that. that everybody knew, like even William and Richard were passing letters between Charles and Anna Maria. And, wow. and Julia Scott tells her, you know, you're never going to know a teenage girl's heart. So they, they have secrets and you're just going to have to accept that. But most students have a hard time with that. Wow. You know, so I'm not even there yet. They're just <laughs> Listeners, I have my daughter is twelve. I'm not quite there yet. Um. Yeah. And and as they start to open school there, Anna Maria's getting her friends are the Cantons, who are Charles Carroll's granddaughters, and they were considered like the royalty of the United States. They were very very wealthy, and this They're is who class. now Anna Maria is becoming friends with. And Mother Seton's a little worried about that, you know, and. Um, so she doesn't know what to do. She thinks coming to Emmitsburg will be a good thing. And because even Father Babade is like in support of this relationship. He's like pushing it. He wants Anna Maria to, to marry this guy. And um, so Lemusine doesn't really know what to do. They go to Emmitsburg and Anna Maria is not happy. Um, she's doing all these drawings and these paintings of roman gods and all this kind of stuff and she's not really participating in anything that's going on with the prayers and so mother seat is worried and i think this is where that comes from a few years later mother seat looks back on that time uh -huh. and is questioning you know okay she wasn't perfect i see these i see these things in her life and yeah. i'm wondering was she good enough to be saved so is, are you saying that maybe another factor in her grief when Anna Maria died is that she's kind of reflecting on the last several years of oh, Anna yeah, Maria's absolutely. life? Oh, um, yeah, Then the fear that she didn't do enough to making sure Anna Maria, I don't know, for better lack of words, stay on the straight and narrow right. and doing good works and stuff like that. Right, because... I mean, we know things from scripture, of course, about God's judgment, but we don't right. know God's judgment. You yeah, know what I mean? true. And so yeah. you start to question, especially someone you really love, especially a child, I think, you know, no. Um, but I just think this story with Charles is just an interesting story um, because she is so young and it's like, okay, maybe this is who she's going to marry. And when she's here, she's so unhappy that Mother Seton's like, you know what, maybe marriage wouldn't be so bad, <laughs> you know, because her husband had a sister that got married at 15. And so she's thinking he's very wealthy. He's Catholic. She wants the best for her daughter. Like right. at the same time, she may not agree with it, but you want, you always want your ha the happiness of your children. So, yeah. so I do know that she sent Anna Maria to Baltimore. Right. And that was back. because of Charles. Yeah. Okay. And so okay. she takes her back to Baltimore. But it's interesting too because the Cantons show up again, Louisa Canton, and she she basically says in earshot of Mother Seton, 
oh, we'll find you a better guy. Like all the military guys are here. They're, you know, they're down at the docks and you just wait, Anna Maria, when you see them. And is like, what is happening here? But Anna Maria only wants Charles and she's not really interested in going out to parties and, and balls and stuff. So, but he leaves, he has to go back home. He lives in Guadalupe, which is in the Caribbean and he needs to go back home and, and settle things there. And then he'll come back and marry her as the promise. And so he leaves and she just becomes more sad by the day. And so she writes her mother, um, can I come home? Um, which is a, a, a turnaround really. Yeah. And she's starting to feel sick. She's starting to have those pains in her side. She's starting to have trouble breathing. And she just wants to come home. The Phoebe curse yeah. is settling into Anna Maria. Yeah. How old is she now? Um, at this point, 14, she, yeah, she's about 14. And so she she comes home. Um, and then very quickly, they realize it's not going to work with Charles. And he had been very attentive when he first left. He was writing her letters from the ship, and she was getting these letters um, but as Mother Seton tells the story, as soon as he got off the ship, there was a young lady there waiting for him who, like, captured his attention, and that was it, you know. And, and Anna Maria, from all accounts, was okay. And she throws herself into the academy. She starts yeah. teaching. She is... This is where you were telling me this earlier in the podcast that she created these rules right. for her set of students? Well, not those yet, because oh, she's okay. she's not really right. dying yet. It gets closer. But, yeah, you know, she takes on a group of 10 girls that she's looking after and schooling, and um, she's becoming involved in the, the prayer circles and the, um, the choir and really throwing herself into it. But she's, she's also feeling more sick. Yeah. And so a year later, by fall of 1811, um, she's not doing well, and Mother Seton moves her from upstairs to her room, which yeah, is... Which we have guesses right. again. Yeah, and this is a room that's right next to the chapel, and it's kind of open in the sense that um, people can come in and out. And this is where you see Anne Maria writing those rules, and she turns her death into a memente morning, you know, and Mother Seton is just um, so proud of her daughter. You know, I'm wondering, you know, this is just a side note flash to like a little bit of time nearing her death. I'm wondering if the way that Elizabeth took her own um, situation of knowing death is near, you know, she lived her last will and testament in November of 1820, right. just less than two months after she, before she was to die. I'm wondering if she was probably using Anna Maria's example of her sickness and the preparation that she was making. I don't know, maybe I'm going off on something. No, else, I mean, you're right. You get what I'm saying? Yeah, and you're right. And what's interesting is that this is the same time that Anna Maria, knowing and feeling that her death is near, yeah. is like, I want to be a sister of charity. Or Mother Seton, knowing that her death is near, is starting to feel that lack of energy right. to do anything. And so they're now like on, on opposite and it's Anna Maria that's trying to help her mother. Like, don't you want maternity for me? Don't you want me to do this? And as she said, again, Elizabeth said to her friend, um, she felt no love of vocation, no pure charity, no assimilation with holy poverty, no spirit. Elizabeth was lacking in everything because she's seen her daughter die. Yeah. 
you know, where Anna Maria, who's the one that is dying, is starting to really feel like I want to get everything in order. Order, like, right. You know, have things in place. Right. And so there's, but of course, Elizabeth being Elizabeth appeals to Archbishop Carroll. Can she become a sister? But they don't have the rules yet. They haven't officially. Right. It doesn't get rules. ratified until 1812. Right. So they kind of, this was the catalyst to get that done. And so by mid-January of 1812, the rules are done so that Anna Maria can become a sister of charity before she dies. So, um, yeah. you know, it's just such a, a sad time, you know, but it's also like you can see how Anna Maria left an impact. She actually kind of, in a way, cast the first stone yeah. to really making the legacy of the Sister of Charity of St. Joseph's a reality. Right, right, because she, she got them moving yeah. um, because they wanted, they wanted to do this for her. Um, so, and you see Mother Seton is spending every second with, with Anna Maria. So it's just a few weeks later that Anna Maria dies. She dies while they're saying mass. She dies holding a crucifix to her lips, which then Mother Seton realizes, oh, she's holding her hands, like praying, so she doesn't want her disturbed. So the sisters cut off her clothing and then wrap her in a shroud wow. like that, and that's how she's buried. Wow. So at this begins the grieving process for Mother Seton. And as we spoke at the beginning, I mean, she, she spends a lot of time trying to hide it. Yeah which I think people do. I mean, everybody grieves differently. Yeah. Well, and I think for Elizabeth, the hardest part for her is that this is a different grief. This is a grief that she'd never experienced before. Right. Um, right. It's her daughter. Right. It's her firstborn. Yeah. It's her friend, her follower. Right. They've been through everything together. And I think Mother Seton looks at Anna Maria like she gave me this, like she gave her so many things um, that Mother Seton's kind of feeling like ashamed of, like when she, when Anna Marie says to her, well, don't you want me to go to eternity? It's kind of, <laughs> no, <laughs> I want you to stay here. here you know, and then there was guilt with that, right? Yeah. There's guilt feeling like I sh I, I'm not a good steward here. Like I should want her to go to eternity. And so she's dealing with a lot for months. I think also the important lesson for us is she finds Father Brute and and it wasn't that he was something extraordinary. It was that he was what was right for her. And I think that's what we all need to find. When we're dealing with grief, we need to find someone who takes us where we are. And that's what he did. He didn't judge her. He said, okay, let's figure this out together. Mm -hmm. And she just needed that. And she needed that time. Yeah. Um, and so she, Elizabeth gives a lot of credit to Anna Maria. But we also have to remember that Elizabeth was the one that put her daughter in those places throughout her life that she would know about God and she continued to pray for her mm -hmm. and give her that environment yeah. um, that she could get to eternity. Yeah. Yeah. It just like, it was a path that she had to take, not knowing what would be at the end of the path, what she's going to right. learn from the path or what comes out of it. Right. You know, sometimes there's a, a reason for everything when we don't even know that. And I think Elizabeth really it. learns that, right. that she doesn't always know what the next thing is. She doesn't really come out with a plan. Right. And, that's, and she may yeah. not always agree 
right. with it. And that's where she, she got to with Brute. Like, yeah. yes, life is worth living. And living. I have to and trust God's plan. And got into God's will and trusting God's plans. Right. Yes. You know, and it's interesting when we did, you know, their love story and we talk about how she cried at his grave. <laughs> then we did Rebecca where she was like, okay, I can't take it anymore. I've lost my husband and my daughter. And, you know, and now she, I mean, her well, soul sister, soul sister yeah. and now she's losing her daughter. And it's like each one, it's like, like you said, this was worse than the one before. Um, and, but I think she teaches us, like, just be patient with yourself. And it's okay to be angry. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to feel all kinds of things. Yeah. You know, this was, but the- it's okay to have that ugly moment of yourself. Right. You know, and those born. those months of feeling like I don't want to do charity work. I don't want to be a sister. I don't want to do anything. I just want to be like lay in my bed and not do anything. Yeah. And, and it's okay. It's okay. You don't have to feel guilty or bad yeah. about that. In a way, we need to be thankful for Anna Maria's writing. And like you said, Anne Brute for bringing it to light. Because when you say that, sort of like, wow, she had never read back on what Anna Maria wrote, right. look back on how Anna Maria was living her life, how right. she took the last couple, you know, last moments of her life with grace, mm-hmm. and then how Brute steps in. Right. Wow, it just, it could put a whole different perspective. Yeah, so. I mean, yeah, you're so right as you're saying that. It's like, it sometimes when we're in it, we can't see how good someone is or how beneficial they are. It's like later when you look back and you can have that perspective you can see what a blessing it was to have that person in your life and helped you through that cross or that lesson that you had to learn, you know, makes us better. Yeah. Probably hit that time at topic again on our next podcast. <laughs> well, Who knows? Later, like, I'm sure we will. <laughs> <laughs> well, like you said, every person we are coming to learning about and why they're following a little bit what the relationship is, is sort of like adding another piece of the puzzle right. to the bigger picture, to the larger picture, or understanding a little bit better how one impacts another. Yeah, in exactly. Yeah. Unexpected way. Well, that's what I'm thinking because the people that we've even talked about outside of this podcast, it's like if they didn't have that one person in their life, would their decision have been different? You know, and um, I guess we all have to think about that. So, yeah. Well, thank you for joining us again. Um, next time, I think we're going to do Father Brute. Okay. So um, he's another one that went both ways. They both had an impact on each other. So until next okay. time. Thank you, Lisa. Bye. I thought it would be good to explain what the decorary rules were that we spoke of in the podcast. These were the rules that Anna Maria made up as a gift, she thought, to those around her, a memente more. By mid-March of 1812, Anna Maria was nearly blind and had broken bones that had punctured through her skin. Her chest had turned purple and black overnight. Mother, what does this mean, she asked. Elizabeth told her it meant that God is going to receive you soon. Determined to offer one final lesson, Anna Maria had her friends and her decorie brought to her bedside. The decorie was the 10 girls that she had been placed in charge of. She wanted to show them her skin, her discoloring, and talk to them about what it meant to die. 
She had set up this list of rules, rules that she hoped would help them be good people and be ready for a good death. She started these out within the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Remember thou art to die, and she drew skull and bones. I'm going to read through the summary of the rules, and then I'm going to give my opinion on what I think they mean. 1. Strict silence until morning. Prayers. No conversation until after breakfast. Silence during studies and meals. 2. Do not hang out in the chapel without purpose. Get in at the first bell, especially in the morning. Never miss unless sick. Meditate on readings. Stay 10 minutes after the 12 o'clock prayers. Go into the chapel before you go out, and when you come home. 3. Remind each other of the rules, and when someone is about to break them, do so gently and humbly, reminding them of the rules. 4. Do not have immoderate laughter during recreation, and at 1 o'clock, stop to say, Watch me, O Lord, for abandoned to myself, I shall surely betray you. Never ridicule others or say anything we think might hurt their feelings. Avoid distractions in our conversations, and if possible, modesty in our thoughts, our words, and our actions. 5. Learn our lessons. Do all of our actions with care for the love and glory of our dearest Lord. 6. No talking after night prayers, except when extremely necessary, and then only in a whisper. Recollect while dressing and undressing to think of our Savior clothed with purple garment and when he is stripped and nailed to the cross. 7. Do not indulge during the holidays too much and keep ourselves employed in reading good books. In the evening, do spiritual reading. Say the beads in honor of the Sacred Heart and an Our Father and a Hail Mary for the souls to part it. On Fridays, instead of beads to the Sacred Heart, offer beads to the prayer of Jesus' suffering. Sing the song, Glory to Thee, my God, this night, and meet every Sunday to fix on the same intentions for the week and remind each other gently of faults committed during the past week. Take turns to do spiritual reading and offer penance and pardons. 8. Examine ourselves on the rules every night. O my Lord Jesus Christ, you have inspired us with the desire of seeing you more perfectly than we have yet done. Grant us grace to perform all of our actions with thy love and to persevere in the good resolutions we have taken for the honor of thy name and the edification of our neighbor, the merits of thy death and passion. Amen. She ends these rules with, Come, Holy Ghost, send down thy rays of light upon us unworthy creatures who have undertaken to serve thee and give us strength to perform our resolutions for the honor of the Blessed Trinity. What I think these rules mean is she's telling us to spend time in the quiet so that we can hear the Lord. Stay in communication with him. Watch out for one another. Be kind. Know that we need the Lord. 
And at the end of the day, review the day. Ask for forgiveness for what we have done wrong and give thanks for the blessings that we have received. I truly hope you enjoyed this podcast. You can see how Anna Maria helped Mother Seton, but Mother Seton had given to Anna Maria the gift of faith. Until next week.